Well, good morning, everyone. In case you don't know me, my name's Rob. I'm the senior pastor here. Before we get into opening up God's word together, uh, I wanted to read a statement with you. We've read it once already. It's called The Word Made uh, Flesh. It's a Christological statement put on by uh, Ligonier Ministries where it just tells us truths about Jesus. And we've been going through this series, Who is Jesus? So I thought this would be appropriate. So we're going to put it up there on the screen. And I would ask you to read along with me. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. If you do not have a copy of the Bible, there should be a blue Bible in the chair in front of you, and uh, you can turn that to page 984, and you'll find the text that we're looking at this morning. Colossians 2, picking up at verse 16, page 984 in the Bible. Now, while I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to go with a team to India for three weeks. And it was there in India that I first experienced the press of the street merchant. I mean, these guys and girls were tenacious in every way. And I figured that they would sell you the, the shirt off of their back for a good price. I mean, everything was for a good price. Only it wasn't a good price. It was a ripoff, and they knew it. And you were American, so they figured you'd fall for it. Now, I remember walking the streets of New Delhi and seeing a young boy holding a stack of Rolex watches, and he was hawking these Rolexes for somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to $10 American. Now, this guy was slick. I mean, I think he could have sold anything to anyone, only he didn't sell me a Rolex because they were as fake as a $3 bill. You see, they had the appearance of the real thing, But the substance was lacking. They didn't have the materials. They didn't have that quality engineering that you would expect from Rolex. And if you were dumb enough to buy one, well, let me just tell you, that thing would look good on your wrist for about two weeks. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because like Rolexes or these fake Rolex or the real Rolex, there is a a real Christian faith. It's life giving, it's transformative. And it will lead you to the best sort of life possible. But then there's all these like five and 
$10 cheap knockoffs that are out there. That's why I have conversations with people who say things to me like, I don't want anything to do with religion. It promised me the moon and it gave me a McDonald's hamburger. Or that $10 version of religion that tells me if I was just to follow a list of rules and the list just seems to keep growing. And when I follow it, all I do is feel guilty all the time. I just don't want anything to do with that stuff. Well, here's the deal. I hate to break it to you guys, but you were sold something fake. You see, the fake thing breaks down. The real thing never breaks down. And that's what Paul is going to make us aware of this morning as we look at our text. You see, the Colossians were peddling, these false teachers peddling fake Rolexes to the church. Now, here's the deal. The devil knows what he is doing. We might feel like we live in a modern age with modern philosophies and modern religious convictions, but Satan is crafty and generally unoriginal. He loves to take the old deceptions and repackage them new. And so C.S. Lewis observes in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that there is a form of deception that Satan has called Christianity and You just take the real faith, you add something to it, you destroy the real faith. Satan uses it all the time and we keep falling for it. So this morning, Paul's going to give us a couple of warnings exposing us to three common forms of Christianity. And look with me at the first two verses. The first form of this is legalism. Christ plus rules, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. So this is Christianity and this is legalism. Christ plus rules. It is the belief that I can earn God's approval by what I do. And it has been noted that we're all born legalists. We all are born believing that we can earn God's favor or deserve heaven. And there's something inside of us that fights against grace. Because if I acknowledge grace, then I also have to acknowledge that I'm broken and sinful. John Piper said this, that legalism is a failure to be amazed by grace. Charles Spurgeon once preached, Beloved, the legalist in us is a great deal older than the Christian. If I were a legalist today, I should be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian, for we have all been born as legalists. Now, what was this particular strand of legalism that they were dealing with? It had something to do with diet and days. Diet and days. Now, remember these false teachers. If you want fullness... If you want completion in the Christian life, well, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do and know certain things to find that. But what did Paul say? Where does fullness come from? He explains it in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. To be filled means to be complete, To lack nothing. Remember, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So why were certain foods and drinks restricted? Well, who knows? 
might have had something to do with Jewish dietary restrictions. When you get into the New Testament, Paul had addressed um, some food issues multiple times. There's this example in the letter of Romans where there's a vegetarian group and a meat-eating group. Uh, Romans 12, or 14, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So we see here the two factions. There's the vegetarian group, and there are those who eat at the Brazilian grill. And they like their meat extra rare. Now, the, the issue was that the vegetarian group believed that they shouldn't eat meat because, well, you didn't know if this was offered up to an idol. But Paul would later say in 1 Timothy 4.4, don't worry about those kind of things. God made everything. So what if God took this, or a person took this slab of meat and sat it in front of a dead, broken idol? When it comes before you at your table, as long as you receive it with thanksgiving, that's fine. You see, the legalism is that you're making um, eating, or what you're eating, a test of spirituality. Now, there's other things as well. He talks about holy days. I believe this is something to do with the Jewish calendar and those holy days. But we're likely not going to struggle over diet and days in our day and age. You see, legalism is very cultural. It takes cultural values and it inserts them as biblical commands. So as a result, the legalists' lists change. They're ever-growing and you can never keep up with them. I, I want you to think and consider of some of the things that have been made into legalisms. You can't drink any alcohol. Now, alcohol is a very nuanced conversation in the Bible. On one end, Paul says that you should never kind of glibly go out and drink alcohol in front of people that you know that struggle with something like this. He says, never cause a brother to stumble. On the other side of the equation, we know that the Bible says you shouldn't get drunk. 100% of the time, that is wrong. But... When someone comes up to me and says, it's sinful to drink alcohol, I say, pass the Merlot. <laughs> now, you can't drink, that's one. You can't raise your hands in worship. Others say you must raise your hand in worship. Some say you can't speak tongues. Others say everyone has to speak tongues. Some say you can't cut your hair. Uh, you can't grow your hair below your ears. Godly people only vote for one political party. Dress attire, makeup, hats, so on. Ad nauseum. Christ plus rules. I've even heard of peanut butter making it onto someone's don't list. Peanut butter. A group of missionaries were serving in a context where peanut butter was unobtainable, and over time, the missionaries started to believe that their lack of eating peanut butter was a mark of spirituality, a badge of honor and service to Christ. Now, one family came to serve with this group of missionaries, and they had a particular fondness for peanut butter. And so they wrote home, and they told their family of the things that they missed, and the family sent over a care package, and it was full of peanut butter. And what did this family do? Well, they dived into peanut butter. But the other missionaries took exception 
to their unwillingness to sacrifice for the gospel. They thought, we are willing to give up anything for the cause of Christ. Why can't they? And so the peanut butter eaters started getting ostracized by the non-peanut butter eaters. And eventually, the peanut butter eaters were so ostracized that they left the field disenfranchised and defeated. Did you catch that insidious thought process? We are willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ, and basically, they are not. Verse 16 says, Let no one pass judgment on you. Legalism at its core is an external mechanical obedience to earn God's approval. Often the rules have nothing to do with God's timeless moral standards. It's not like the missionary couple was stealing from the mission's agency. They weren't out having adulterous relationships. They were eating peanut butter for crying out loud. And why did the legalists feel justified? Well, because they had a superior spirituality. My dad told me of a legalist who once said to him, I wish everyone was as in love with Jesus as I am. One commentator says, legalism attempts to squelch fleshly desires and establish purity, but it lets loose a more deadly strain of sin, namely pride. Do you see how messed up and phony this counterfeit gospel is? Jesus addressed this in Mark 7, 4. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The idea there is that you can be so committed to the rules that you don't even care if you like God. That's a problem. Now, just as a caveat while we're addressing legalism, I want to talk to us about the swinging the pendulum in the other direction. There's another deadly extreme called license. License is the idea that God cares nothing for the rules, that we're free to experience any pleasure that we wish, that God only wishes that we would be happy. That is Christ minus rules. It subtracts something from the character of God because God's character is demonstrated through his moral standards. And that's equally as deadly. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So why is legalism broken? Well, it's broken because it is substanceless. You know, referring to those diet laws, those holy day celebrations, Paul says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The rituals were shadows that pointed towards Christ. The Passover pointed to the Passover lamb. The bread of presence pointed to the bread of life. The festival of lights pointed to the light of the world. Paul is saying once you have the real thing, you don't go back to the fake thing. You have fullness. You have something better. And it's found in the person of Jesus. I mean, you can imagine it like this. In my home, there's a bunch of pictures in my living room. And every time I look at them, I just sit there and think to myself, wow, the kids are growing up way too fast. You see those pictures, and they transport me back to a fun day where we were laughing together, playing together. 
Now, what would you think, though, if you came into my house and you saw me staring up at the pictures and just kind of laughing and, and relating to the pictures and enjoying my time with them? You'd think that I'd gone nuts. And you'd be right. Because why would I relate to something that's inferior to the better? Why wouldn't I instead be downstairs running around with the kids, laughing, and getting into a little bit of trouble? That's the problem with legalism. Legalism fixates upon rules. Paul says, fixate on Jesus. He is the center of all of life, the source of excitement. He's the one that's going to walk alongside you and, and comfort you when the bottom drops out and strengthen you when you're being tempted by uh, sin. To lose him is to lose everything. Which leads me to ask, are you fixating on shadows? Why do you come to church? Is it just to check a box? Or is it to meet with the risen Lord? Is your Bible by your bedstand because it serves as some kind of good luck charm? Or is it a means that you use to connect with the heart of God? Is prayer just rubbing a magic lamp so you can get things that you want? Or is it a way for your heart to connect with his heart? See, legalism is substanceless. It's mechanical. Jesus is the reality. Let's move on to another phony. Mysticism. Christ plus, and you can even say subjective experience. Look at verses 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows, with a growth that is from God. So mysticism, verse 18, Paul's talking about a form of mysticism here. Christ, plus you have to have subjective experience. Now, I think there's a healthy form of mysticism, the idea that allows for the supernatural. It doesn't deny the fact that God speaks to people through visions and dreams. Uh, it allows for God's ministering agents, his angels at work in the world. But the form that Paul is addressing here is a spiritual mysticism that is phony, brain-dead, and arrogant. He says, do not let anyone disqualify you with that junk. Don't let someone with a screw loose or someone who's seeking to get attention disqualify you or distract you from the prize. And that's what disqualify means. It means to be declared unfit. To have a judge or a sports official say, foul, Go sit the bench. Look at verse 18 and we'll get an idea of this in the NIV. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. So it's a little different than the SV translation. The idea there is that they're putting on errors. It's a bogus humility. And the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up. So that idea of the worship of angels, the word worship could well mean to invoke 
or conjure. One commentator says that these folks then are guilty of engaging in the somewhat magical solicitation of angels to ward off evil or to provide physical protection or to bestow blessing or success on their daily endeavors. endeavors. It's an unhealthy fascination, an unhealthy reliance on angels as if they were God. Christians should believe in angels. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that they are God's ministering spirits. They were created by God for the glory of God, as all things were. Remember what Colossians 1.16 said about Jesus? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Though we should believe in angels, we must avoid, though, the extreme called angel mania. Now, I know some of you are like, don't go there. That was my show. I'm going there. Today, there can be a sort of fanaticism associated with angels. Books, pendants, knickknacks, paraphernalia, TV shows, movies. There's even enthusiasts who belong to angel organizations who meet together once a year in angel workshops. Why this interest? I believe it's because the human heart is searching blindly and groping about to try to find spiritual connection with God. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has written eternity on our hearts. Secularism won't cut it, y'all. The idea that you can divorce faith from life and just go about life and everything's gonna be okay, that doesn't work. And so people are searching and they're grabbing hold of anything, including angels. But angels are not God. Angels are not immortal. Angels might possess some kind of supernatural strength, but they're not all powerful. God is those things. And Hebrews 1.4 says that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God Uh, gave him is greater than their name. Don't let something distract you from the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus. He also talks here about visions in verse 18, going on in detail about visions, that false mysticism, Christ plus experience. Now, I'm not saying that Paul's saying that anyone who has a vision is a liar. So if someone comes up to me after this service and says, oh, you don't believe in visions, I'm going to look you in the eye and say, sorry, you didn't listen well. I'm not going to say something mean because that would be mean. He is warning us here about visions to avoid leveraging supernatural experiences for the sake of gain or to insist that you have some kind of new revelation that no one's ever heard of before. I was recently online listening to two televangelists that were promoting their visions, and they were saying that God told them that they had to have private jets. And as they were explaining why God wanted them to have private jets, one of the evangelist was spouting off and he was like, if I'm sitting in a commercial jet and the Lord speaks to me, what am I supposed to do in front of all these people? But when I'm on my private jet, I can just say, Lord, speak. And he speaks to me. I could do that too on a private jet, I gotta tell you. 
But the other one, no, no, here's the other one. The other one said, well, those commercial jets, those are just a tunnel of demons. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And his net worth is $760 million. You might have heard of that recent story, New York Times bestseller that came out, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. It was written by Alex Malarkey and his father, Kevin Malarkey, published in 2010, describing an experience where Alex was in a car accident and he was laying in a coma for two months. And during that time, he said that he was transported into heaven. And the book describes his visions of miracles and angels and life beyond this world. Only it was all a fabrication of a young boy who wanted attention. In an open letter to Christian bookstores, Alex stated flatly, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. Please forgive the brevity, but because of my limitations, I have to keep this short. I said that I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. Why is mysticism broken? Well, Paul explains it in verse 19. This type of mysticism distracts us. It causes us not to hold fast to the head. Who is the head? Jesus. And the body is the church. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. It distracts us. And this is what happens when you get distracted. You miss out on the better thing. Growth. You know, Paul talks about uh, an experience, a vision that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to just hear how he dealt with or interacted with this experience. We're going to read from the New Living Translation. He says in verse 2, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. Now listen to what he says here. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and my message. What was Paul's message? Christ. Did he have this experience? Absolutely. But he wanted the message to be clear. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need to add experience to get more fullness out of the spiritual life. It's found in him and connecting to him. What happens when we grow distracted? Well, we lose connection with Christ and with the church. 
I see nowhere in the Bible where the Bible tells me that I need to pursue visions endlessly. But I see all kinds of places where the Bible says, open up your Bible, pray, meet with the church. We're to use God's means of growth. And that's what leads to fullness in this life. Let's consider one more phony. Asceticism. Christ plus control. Now you're looking at chapter 2 verses 20 and 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So asceticism, Christ plus control, it's that unhealthy rejection of beautiful and good things that God has made for the pursuit of God. Aesthetics have said that they can control all kinds of things and they reject all kinds of things. Marriage, sex, parenthood, creation, even the physical body. Christ plus control. Now, in Paul's day, it was this false dualism that was created. Essentially, it was to say that The spirit is good, but the the body is bad. And so the way that I feed the spirit is I reject the body. Is the body bad? Absolutely not. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The God of the universe inhabited a body. The body is good. Which leads me to say to this generation, because there's a lot of problems with body image today. You know, I, I just recently read a statistic where teen depression and suicide is skyrocketing. The body's good. Never mistreat something precious and valuable that God has made. You are a treasure to Him. Why is mystic- or asceticism broken? It doesn't deliver. Paul says it has the appearance of wisdom, but it doesn't actually produce the results that it says it will. It's dead. It's phony. It's false. It's broken. You can think of it like this. Imagine that my beautiful wife, Katie, you can all look at her, asked me to go out and to work in the garden, and she shows me a magazine cover, and she says, Rob, I want my garden to look like this, so you're going to go outside, and you're going to start pulling weeds, and you're going to make it look like this. That's her first mistake. She's asking me to make that happen. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about things. The right way to go about pulling weeds is to get down on your hands and knees and pull out every single last weed, but then there's the way that I would go about doing it, which is to napalm the living daylights out of it all with weed killer. Now, it would work. That weed killer would kill every last weed in the garden. And I would be feeling like a champ. That is until I realized that everything else in the garden is dead too. I mean, it's just pure... 
He's just sleeping, Olga. Don't worry. There wouldn't be a petunia, a daffodil, a penny, or a fox left in that garden, would there? It would be flower death, and I would be in big trouble with the boss. But what if Katie wasn't around to see the devastation? I could run off to the dollar store and buy a bunch of fake plants, and I could pop those into the ground one by one, and I could be standing out there with a hose watering all those flowers. I wouldn't be out of trouble, would I? No. Because Katie doesn't want a bunch of flower carnage and fake phony flowers. She wants a real vibrant, alive garden. That's what false religion does. It's a phony substitute for the real thing. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do you serve God? Do you do it to elevate your spiritual status before him? Ultimately, that's not love for God. That's love for you. Fake religion says, your salvation depends on you. You've got to earn God's approval. You don't have to actually love him. You just have to do what he says. Phony. The gospel's the real thing. The gospel awakens the heart to the beauty and the majesty of God. The gospel teaches us to care less about what other think, people think about us and to care more about what God thinks about us. The gospel shows us that the only thing that matters is the approval and the acceptance of God. And the gospel tells us that that acceptance and approval from God has been given to us as a gift. One for us by his son Jesus who died on the cross for us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the better religion. He is the one in whom we find fullness in God. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer?